everyone. This is Paul Aronowitz, your host for UC Davis Department of Internal Medicine's Story Slam. And this next Story Slam is a story told by Dr. Derek Bays, who is currently an R2, and he told us in September at our second Story Slam ever, and I think you'll enjoy it. Have fun. The title of my story is My First Patient. I showed up to my first day of my internal medicine clerkship excited. This was hopefully the start of my career as an internist. I went to meet my resident in the old Davis Six workroom, may it rest in peace, and was given my first patient. The resident told me, we really don't know what's going on with her, but she's really nice. Why don't you go read about her and plan on presenting her for tomorrow? I diligently went to the computer to read about her. I learned that she was 78 and she was presenting with hypoglycemic seizures. She had coronary artery disease status post cabbage a few years ago with an aortic valve replacement. She had transitional cell carcinoma of the bladder status post resection, chemotherapy, and then a urinary diversion with urostomy and was thought to be in remission. The patient carried a diagnosis of diabetes and was on a carbos for reasons that are still not entirely clear to me as her A1C was 4.7 and she'd been seizing for the last six months. I learned that she was a transfer from another hospital because no one could figure out why she was having hypoglycemic seizures for the past six months. This is where I got excited. A mystery. I became interested in internal medicine because of the puzzles and my first patient was an enigma that no one could figure out. My brain began churning out differentials. Is it iatrogenic from the carbos? Is, it, is she lying about her medications? Is it insulinoma? What about adrenal insufficiency? Then I kept reading the HMP that one of our former residents had done such a great job on, and I got to the extensive workup already completed. At the time of her hypoglycemic seizure, she had undetectable insulin, pro-insulin, C-peptide. Her cortisol was normal, although without a stim test, but that was later found to be normal as well. She wasn't on any sulfonylureas. She had no access to insulin, and nor did her family. She had appropriately self-discontinued her acarbos despite it being prescribed to her. I got the sense that the resident wasn't joking when she said we really don't know what's going on with her. I knew that I was going to have to dig deeper and do lots of reading before rounds the next morning. Before that, I needed to go meet my patient and explain that I will be another one of the people that come into the room and wake her up before the sun comes up in the morning. I figured I'd say hello, ask a couple of questions, and do exam, and then get back to the books. I ended up pulling up a chair and hearing her tell her version of the story. Her version had less test results, but was much more compelling, haunting, and desperate. She told me about her fear of going to sleep because that is when she would have her seizures, about how she couldn't find, couldn't sorry, how she couldn't live on her own anymore in case she sees without anyone to watch her. How her daughter, who was my own mother's age, and her granddaughter, my own age, took shifts watching her at night, making sure she ate granola bars because they were terrified they'd go to find her in the morning and that she'd be dead if they didn't. How she felt so much guilt over becoming a perceived burden to her family and losing her independence. How she missed being outside and in her garden with her roses. As I left the room that night, I realized that being a mystery really sucks for patients. Over the next two weeks, I read more about hypoglycemia than I think I ever will again. We expanded our differential to include things like elevated insulin growth factor type 1, type 2, baby or pro-insulin growth factor type 2, insulin growth factor receptor antibodies or proteins, growth hormone deficiency, and then, of course, malignancy. 
The lab tests slowly trickled in, and the patient still became hypoglycemic, sorry, symptomatically hypoglycemic every time her D10 IV infiltrated. So in other words, often. Throughout those two weeks, I saw an intern, Gerald Diaz, demonstrate simple acts of kindness by listening to the patient's frustration over missing real, actual coffee. I'm not sure exactly what our server are patients, but I know it's black and it doesn't have caffeine in it. Every day from this point on, he brought her, two, uh, brought her a large coffee with two creams and two sugars. Doing my best to follow his, exam- his excellent example, I did the same on his days off. Throughout the two weeks, I spoke with, her, with the, do- the patient's daughter, who was living miles away with a job and family of her own, who was terrified about her mother. She begged for us to find an answer. She was just as kind as her mother and just wanted to have an answer so, she, so we could help her mom. Because as I quickly learned, the world was a better place with my patient in it. During those two weeks, my patient never once complained about anything beyond the coffee. She didn't care that when her labs were drawn while we were purposely making her hypoglycemic and miserable, that they were hemolyzed and that we'd have to repeat the whole test pro- uh, procedure again the following day. She didn't complain when I told her that some of her studies were started on a Thursday, so she'd have to wait until the following week for the hospital to start functioning again after the weekend. She didn't hesitate to participate in an extended physical exam session taught by one of her senior residents, now one of our attendings, so I could characterize her heart murmur a little better. She greeted me every morning with a smile and told me to sit down and talk with her each morning. One of these chats, she told me she really liked reading mystery novels, so I picked one up at her store for her to read the fall, to fill the monotony of a two-week hospitalization and completely missed the irony of the whole situation until I typed it out this morning. As our lab tests began coming back showing that IGF-1, IGF-2, IGF binding protein, insulin antibody, growth hormone, they were all normal and non-contributing to the, the symptomatic hypoglycemia, the elephant in the room started to get harder to ignore. We got a PET scan, and even being an untrained third-year medical student, I knew it was bad. I'll never forget where I was when I had come back from doctoring to pull up the results of the scan. I just started bawling when I was seeing essentially every lymph node from her groin up to her neck lighting up like a Christmas tree. We got a biopsy on a Wednesday, and of course didn't have the results until the following Tuesday. The results demonstrated metastatic spread of her transitional cell carcinoma of the bladder. I didn't mention it earlier, but there has been some rare syndromes, one of which called Dosh Potter, where you will produce something called baby IGF-2 that can act on the insulin receptors and lead to hypoglycemia. Very, very rare, not characterizing this cancer. And ultimately, I don't know if this patient actually had this, as there's no commercial test available to measure IGF-2, or baby IGF-2. Although I did beg a lab in Minnesota to check for our patient, but they weren't able to. Mrs. R took the news better than anyone I could have expected. Hemong saw the patient and gave her the prognosis, which was poor regardless of chemotherapy use or not. But chemotherapy could possibly give her six or seven extra months to our already poor prognosis of six months. Ms. R still wasn't sure if she wanted to, if she'd want to do chemo, but she, knew, she didn't know that she wanted to go home. A D10 infusion wasn't going to be a long-term solution. So we did what we do in medicine when nothing else works. We started steroids. She had no further episodes of hypoglycemia and went home to live with her daughter. I immediately found the hospital a, a less bright place, and I still walk by Tower 4 to this day and reflexively look in her old room expecting to see her. About a month later, I received a page from Dr. Fitzgerald. 
the attending who had been on with Mrs. R when I was a medical student. I met with Dr. Fitzgerald and she had a letter for me. It was from Mrs. R. She wanted to thank the whole team for everything that we had done for her. She let us know that her sugars were staying controlled without any other seizures and she was staying on the steroids. She let me know that she ultimately decided to defer chemotherapy because she didn't want to put her family through the whole ordeal again since she lived in a rural area and the travel and the stress of chemotherapy was, was quite the burden. She was sad and scared, but looked forward to seeing her late husband again. We shared a few letters, and then I never got a response after a while. Her last letter let me know that she was grateful to be back in her garden with the roses.